Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Then I hit record. We talk about the show and pretty much anything else that it might inspire us to talk about. My guest this week is Daryl Pickett. Daryl is a very gifted and prolific, multifaceted artist. He is an actor, a singer, a former dancer, musician, composer, writer, lecturer, and uh, actually something we didn't get to talk about on the show, an avid Planet of the Apes fan. I'm really thrilled he is on the show this week, and I can't wait for you to hear him. We watched Season 4, Episode 2. It was called The Source, and it had an original air date of October 6th, 1982. I think we're ready to jump on in, kids. Let's face the facts with Daryl Pickett. Well, welcome, Daryl Pickett. Thank you, my honor. Uh, oh, really? Oh, sure. Have you heard the show before? I have. You, you know what you're getting into. Wow. I, I have some idea, yes. And, and you're still here. I know. I... That's shocking to me. <laughs> well, I am glad to have you here. I cannot wait to hear your spin and input because I consider you to be one of my smart friends. Oh, no. Yeah. And there are very few of them, except for every person who's ever appeared on the podcast, of course. Oh, yes. They're the smartest people in the whole wide world ever, ever. Anyway. Um, I'm glad that you're here. I'm thrilled. We just watched the episode called The Source. Yes, that was a hard-hitting... It was. Uh, um, topical... You, you said at the beginning, you went just by the title. You thought it was going to be a very special episode. That's right. And it, I think it almost was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of almost about A this. lot of almost around that episode. Around this episode. They, they almost talked about the topic that yeah. they... <laughs> exactly. We will... Absolutely get into that. Uh, so before we get into actually talking about the show show, first thing I typically ask people is, what is your relationship with the show? You need not divulge your age. Oh, but... I'm 54. No! I'm, oh my God. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. So you're, you're three years older than I am. So therefore, you kind of grew up. You, I started young, so you probably remember this in the first run. Oh, absolutely. So, so, so I'll say I came to it by way of different strokes, I'm sure. A number of people did. Mm -hmm. Now, in my my faulty memory, it felt like uh, it like Mrs. Garris, Mrs. Garrett was was on for longer than she was. It, it, it yeah, she was on one season, one season, and they spun her right off. Yeah, and so my memory is like she was on different strokes for a long time. Yeah, but no. And it is so funny how, like all things, how she is a little bit of a different character. Oh, absolutely. She's a sidekick, and she's just the wisecracking, and you know. That's right. What that might be like poison, like I gave to my ex-husband, <laughs> and that sort of a. It's it's so funny how you don't. I don't think there was ever a time Mrs. Garrett sat down and comforted the boys and. Gave them wisdom yeah, no, from no. her bosom, like she does on as she as she regularly does. Yeah, on and uh, and she does in this episode beautifully. I will add, absolutely. And and she's 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 fantastic. Uh, uh, I agree, except yeah. in the times when I don't. Sure, sure. So uh, before we get to the big time talking of the show, I always like to ask my guests and uh, put them on the spot a little bit. Would you, Daryl, please synopsize this episode in just 
one or two sentences. Just like a TV guide listing level, what did we just watch? Oh my gosh, certainly. Um, Natalie tries to boost the school paper circulation by writing a hard-hitting story about abortion. However, she has invented her source for the story. Boom. Excellent. Bravo. If, if, you're, if you're not going to tune in after that synopsis, you're uh, not going to tune in. That's right. So I think we are ready. Now, this originally broadcast in October of 82. So this is, we are starting to get into the 80s. We have a couple of new characters that we see. We're starting to see some really 80s hairstyles. And oh, are we ever? Fun stuff. And are it's pretty and... awesome. So let's get to it. Our show starts with, uh, we have to stop before we even start because the show begins with one of several awkward silent pauses where typically the show begins maybe with some activity or something going on, but we've just got Joe sitting at a table in the cafeteria doing some homework, I guess. We've got Tootie sitting at a table doing some homework, I guess. And we have Blair putting something down on the tables. And she's not even wearing an apron, yet she's working. But there's just this sort of slow pan of Blair walking across and nothing happening. And then, finally, Mrs. Garrett comes in. Mail call! It's That's the right. mail call! And feel free to join me to do a, miss, a bad Mrs. Garrett impression. Uh -huh. If you are so inspired, Daryl, please do so. <laughs> okay? Um, and it's just kind of like... They could have started the episode with one wider establishing shot of the whole set with the same activity and started later with just... We could have faded right in on mail call. And I'll bet you in reruns, they probably they did. They probably did. I, I almost wonder, because this is one of those episodes where we're taking on a serious topic, if you're setting a tone that maybe... that I don't know, and maybe that's maybe. reading... Maybe I'm reading into that. But I feel yeah. like maybe that would happen if, if, if today's episode is going to be a little more serious. We're going to start with uh, making the mood uh, quiet and uh, I don't know. Maybe, don't, that, maybe yeah. I'm giving them too much credit. I, I'm, I, I hate to say I think you might be. But, um, but we do have those definite moments with that intent coming up. And, um, and they are no less awkward or uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> So after mail call distribution, basically just some placeholder jokes to start the episode before we get to the meat of the show. Natalie comes in complaining. And I've often cited the middle-aged vaudevillian writers to this show. The, the middle-aged you, you male voice voices that come out of these girls. And Natalie comes in saying, you work hard, you slave, and they still shoot you in the face. And just doing one of these... She sounded like your grandfather complaining yes. about the paper boy, you know? <laughs> it was just like, wow. But, or, or like Henny Youngman getting ready to but, tell it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of a borscht belt uh, uh, quality. Exactly. That's why, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've talked about that many times, how the voice is often, and particularly Natalie, we think because she's the Jewish girl. Yes. Even though it doesn't ever overtly come out. It's clearly there. And not going to lie, Mindy Cohn does have a little bit of an affinity for it. She delivers yeah. it really oh, yeah. well. Yes. So it's kind of like, well, we can write this type of stuff and she'll perform it well, inappropriate for her age as it is. But um, what she's coming and complaining about is that she wishes she could write something harder hitting. And she complains oddly 
that no one is reading the school newspaper anymore because they're just doing these fluff articles about the bowling league or the history of the town's name. And here's the thing. We had an episode just a few weeks ago where the episode was all about an article getting published in the paper about books being banned where Natalie was like an op-ed piece where she's complaining about books being removed from their library. And it creates a shitstorm. Like, you would think it was in circulation in the entire town of Peekskill, not yes. just this little girl's school with an indeterminate number of students. So it's like suddenly in these few weeks, apparently sales, sales of this free school newspaper have dropped off. <laughs> So Natalie is talking about she wants to write a really hard-hitting story that she hopes could boost the sales of the paper. And so what, what big issue is it? So the girls start guessing. Tootie goes, is it cheating? She's like, nah, that's done. That's too easy, too obvious. <laughs> Joe says, drugs? And she's like, nope. Cliché was what she called drugs. R really? Yes, yes. I, well, in 82. In yeah. 82, I guess, perhaps. Yeah. Yes. yeah, all these girls were on coke. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but then Blair says, and and along like oh, pregnant, like oh my like, goodness, dare I wanted... I even speak the name of VD? Oh yes, there was a avenue to drive several trucks through. Oh my God, the setup for that. I mean, but people did laugh. And then Mrs. Garrett, who often proves herself to be the prudiest of prude McPrudersons, she just goes Blair. <laughs> And Blair turns to her and sort of shrugs and goes, Valentine's Day, covering her ass. She was talking about the VDVD. She was. And oddly. For me, of course, my first association, even when I first saw the show, is, oh, she was one of the new Mouseketeers. That's oh, on yeah. The, that's on the 1970s new Mickey Mouse Club. I remember. Which was terrible. Yeah. And, and I remembered, even thinking pretty early on, that, that the, the 1950s original Mickey Mouse Club... Those kids were super polished. They all tap danced and they all, mm. I, they were clearly the children of parents who yeah. started them in school and tap school and dance school and all of that really early they in life. They were the Mickey Rooney's of their they were. time. Yeah. Uh, and, and the new Mickey Mouse Club was more like, I, I, it had to have been intentional. They were just like, let's get, just get regular kids yeah. who aren't necessarily talented yeah. <laughs> in, that, in, that, in that very structured way. Yeah. And, and it's because we already had Zoom, and honestly, the kids on yeah. the electric company, too, were not... No, no, they're they awful. not I, very... I mean, I, I regularly snarked about all of the above. <laughs> I could do that and ten of, times better. Part of which stemmed from the fact that I was a young child performer. I was a boy soprano, and I danced, and all of that. Well... That, I, yes. I'm not sure I knew that about you. We'll, that we'll is get true. to that. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that but later. Yes, some of that came from a that should be me on TV because for you. I'm I'm more talented than that. Fuck that sounds yes. horrible, but that is exactly the Yeah, and you probably <laughs> were. That's the thing. So, um we Blair backpedals on her VD comment, but wow, what a weird thing for Blair to point out. Yes. And then Natalie drops the bomb. What she wants to do her article on, let's say it together, Daryl. Abortion. Abortion. Boom, boom. Oh, yes. Boom. Which, which, boy, in, in, in 1983? Two. Two. In 1982 was a loaded, yeah. loaded word. I'm Not that it has never not been. Yeah, but, but it was still, it was newly loaded. We yes. were still, we were barely a decade into 
Ms. Magazine and the mm-hmm. Women's Lib Movement and all that stuff. So oh, to yes. be talking about this, should it be talked about on a show like The Facts of Life? Fuck yes, Of course. Should. The first network TV show with an all-women cast, this is, this is it. This should That's be right. here. But I'm not sure the show was prepared to deal with it. The writers certainly were not. Uh, no, they were not. And the easy workaround when you're not prepared to deal with a subject is you don't deal with it. And that's kind of what is about that's, to come to pass. That, that is very substantially what has come to pass here. <laughs> uh, so um, there is the talk immediately of, you would do an article about that just to boost the circulation? It's so incendiary. It's so controversial. And Natalie's response is, well, it's not going to happen. And she says, I can't find a lead. I've called every clinic, every doctor's office, every hospital. I've got a lot of dry statistics, but I don't have a personal point of view. So did she call the doc say, so who's had an abortion there that I could talk to? <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, they would have fucking told her this is pre-HIPAA. Oh, that's right. Lo- Logan Donahue pointed out to me that HIPAA, right. HIPAA was a Clinton. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, that's very recent. I'm like, I was an adult when that happened. I, yeah. I vaguely remember it, but I just wasn't clicked into it. That I guess, you know, we look, listen to it. It's ridiculous to contemplate what I just said, but Certainly. they and probably would have fucking told her. Oh, exactly. Which And, and that comes to bear later in the episode. Yeah. Uh, and certainly in the way the episode concluded. Yeah. That there were assumptions in that final scene mm-hmm. that I was going, whoa. Yeah. Oh, oh my <laughs> God. We'll obviously get to it. Yeah, we, we will. Yes. So um, through a, a, a bizarre little leap in logic, somehow Tootie says, this reminds her of her friend Louise. And, and Natalie Mead was like, Louise, as in, you know, a girl who's had an abortion that I could talk to? And she's like, Louise was my imaginary friend when I was a little girl. She'd get in trouble. Things would be... It, it's, it's a weird little sidebar. Yes. Um, and especially, especially as her, her wrap-up of talking about her imaginary friend is, I wonder where she is now, or something like that. <laughs> something like, happened whatever to happened to her. <laughs> Which is funny, funny stand, as a standalone joke... Tootie is the young one. Tootie is the uh, the naive one. But there are points when their jokes, just for the sake of jokes, spill over into making the girls just stupid. Yes. Like, Blair is rich and very privileged. But at one point in an early episode, they hand her a plunger and she didn't know what it was. It's like, no, you've never used one. I would even buy you've never touched a plunger. But you fucking know what a you know, plunger you've, is. You've, you've seen, yes. Jesus. Yes. So that's that's you've one seen, of those. You've seen the help pick one up. Yeah. <laughs> so Natalie immediately says, Louise, that's it. I'm going to write my article about Louise. And Tootie's like, I just told you, she doesn't exist. And Natalie says, exactly. I'm going to make her up. And I'm going to write the article. And I'm going to make her um, not an amalgam. What did she say? What's the term for... Um, Oh, yes, she did. Boy, it's not going to come to me. But, yeah, she said, you know, that can personify all of my statistics. Yeah. Uh, It's like she had bits and pieces she could call together into uh, a story that she felt would be compelling. And and she says, and it's done all the time. And Tootie's like, really? And she's like, well, sort of. And then she says, hey, if I did find a real person, I'd have to change her name anyway. So it's like, oh, okay. A composite. 
Composite. There's yes. the word. A composite. Yeah. You see of, now of several real people, as is certainly done oh, in God, legitimate yeah. <laughs> reporting or but yeah. Yeah. And immediately Tootie, and when Tootie gets into kind of confrontation mode, she is a little bitch. So you mean you want to do it for the story or to sell papers? And Natalie says, why not a little bit of both? And then Natalie marches out. She's got her, she now has her, um, her intent and her goal. She marches out with purpose and we are left with Tootie alone, thinking, yes. pondering For the complications of the call cut. Please, yes. somebody call that was, cut. That was, that was, was, that was one of the longest fade outs I've, I've, oh, I, in recent memory have seen. And, and the thing is, unfortunately, sometimes actors, and I'm not saying uh, that I couldn't fall prey to this too, you feel like you have to fill the space and you have to continue to quote unquote act. <laughs> yes. Even though there's nothing for you to play. So it's just more shrugging and <sighs> sighing and t caressing of the tabletop yes. and moving of your head. It's just, it's, it is literally physicalizing the discomfort with this silence. Absolutely. It's so awful. Yes. And I feel so bad that these actors are more often than you would realize asked to do this. Uh, but finally, it does fade and go to the next scene. Shoo. And the next scene is still in the cafeteria. Yes. But the story is now written. Yes. They're all in their uniforms. We were in their street clothes before. And you know what? We cannot proceed until we have the David Fashion Police costume check. Where I have to discuss the often illogical costuming choices here. And this episode delivers. Um, in the first scene only, everywhere else in the show, the girls are in the uniforms. But in this first scene, Tootie is wearing a weird blouse that fits her like a members-only jacket, but is not a members-only jacket. And it's got like a button-up collar where the top button is unbuttoned and you're like that looks like it should be buttoned but it would still be just as ugly um blair is in the standard blair warner puffy sleeve dorothy michaels blouse and a-line black skirt and black boots because that's the only thing they know how to put a quote-unquote fat girl in because she's a size six and they don't know how to dress her because she's so huge uh, Joe is wearing some sort of a, a gingham print lumberjack shirt, or I'm sorry, lumber Jill. <laughs> and uh, Natalie is in a sweatshirt. No, you don't put a thicker girl with a large bust in a sweatshirt. <laughs> All it does is hug the boobs, yes. blouse around the waist, which is the smallest part of her body, right. and then rest with the most fabric on the elastic part of her hip. So it's widening the hip, camouflaging the waist, and emphasizing her bust, which we've discussed many times before, is not supported as it should be. Her breasts are so ill-treated in this show, it makes me mad. Um, and the last thing I want to point out is when Mrs. Garrett comes in with the mail call, Mrs. Garrett is wearing, they do put Charlotte Ray in some brighter colors that really mm -hmm. work well with her and her coloring. I always applaud the brighter colors. But the point when she, when Natalie says, I want to write about abortion, and Mrs. Garrett is like, Natalie, that's a pretty big subject matter. She gets up and walks over and stands next to Blair. And you realize they are wearing the same outfit. 
They could change, they could swap their outfits and you would not notice the difference other than Mrs. Garrett has the brighter colors. Good, not the teenage girl, the, the middle-aged woman has the brighter colors. But it's like the same cut because Mrs. Garrett is a pear-shaped woman who's not thin and they dress them both the same. That's the, the, this is the perfect example of we don't know how to dress a girl in between the age, the, the sizes of two and 12 or 14, maybe. That's right. There's there's a very narrow range that we're prepared to dress. Yeah. Yes. And so it's it's pretty awful across the board. I mean, other than, I think Joe is the only one where it's like, well, it's a lumberjack shirt and it's a little less on the nose than the camouflage they put her in last week as far as the tomboy angle. So thankfully, we now are able to move on to the next scene in the cafeteria and we're all in our Eastland uniforms and all is good and right in the fashion world. So as you were saying, the article has dropped. Yes. The paper's everywhere. The school is all abuzz. And the cafeteria is full. No food. Everyone's just standing around the cafeteria reading the paper. Standing around the cafeteria, that's right. Like you do. And um, then we have the writers have to do that thing of, we need to make sure it's clear that Natalie is getting a lot of attention and positive attention. Oh yes. Oh well, and 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 is instantly in hubris mode. Oh God, yes. Instantly. Instantly, um, but we quickly have uh, a girl named Jenny, who um, the actress's name is Dawn Gregg. She's the blonde girl, and uh, she was formerly Dawn Schroeder, and she will be on the show two more times in this role of Jenny, and uh, she <laughs> literally comes in and says something like. I thought the article was so good. It touched me so deeply or something. We've got that. Then we have one of my favorite people right now, Cheryl Epps, returning as Terry. As Terry. Our African-American girl. She, she got maybe, what, two lines this time? She got a couple lines. couple. But bad ones. Yeah. Terry's um, also doing the, wow, the article was so great and terrific. And then she says, so... Is there any talk of a movie of a version movie. Yes. of your article in the school newspaper? Because I've done some acting. And I want to play the girl who had an abortion? I mean, what is happening? And the thing is, Terry is not the actress. Terry, the first time we met her last two seasons ago, Terry was the athlete. Ah. They, there was a very strong athletic angle that they quickly abandoned. In this is her fourth of five appearances. So we do see Terry one more time. And this girl, Jenny, is also in that episode coming up. Did, uh, did Terry express any other acting ambitions in any no, other episode? Fuck no. no, of course not. Um, so it's just really, really strange. Um, one of the biggest laughs of the whole episode is Natalie responding to Terry's request about acting in the movie version. And Natalie says, I'll have my people call your people. I'm trying to think, was that a new thing in the early 80s? I, I, I feel like it has always existed. Mm -hmm. But I think the 80s is probably when, when I was conscious of it being a, a really regular trope. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and, with the corporatization of America, yes. with that whole, you know, that was a very, I feel like that's the only thing I can think of. Because right now we say it's so... 
flippantly in it means nothing nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's just such a common I, thing. Oh, I, it's funny I, how I, my people go, yeah, I feel like that usage was always very flippant. There was always this, a thing you said because you heard it a lot. Yeah. I don't and, ever and it was remember. a Hollywood thing. It was, it was a, a Hollywood thing, yeah. If the sleazy if, Hollywood agent. Yeah, if you're talking about Hollywood yeah. agents or Hollywood parties or schmoozing, yeah. I feel like, at, at you know, 80s at the latest, it just feels like something was in the cultural... Uh, yeah. Uh, atmosphere all the time. So I have no frame of reference that I can bring to this to understand why the joke was such a big laugh. A killer, yes. I mean, right. like yes. I said, I think it was the biggest of the entire episode because not a lot <laughs> coming no, up this, once we get this into is, it. This is not a laugh-heavy episode. No. So even Joe and Blair are complimentary of the article. And uh, Joe in particular is really giddy. This whole episode, she's a very different Joe. Yes, I would say, I would say so. And uh, and Joe even, because I guess they just needed to give Nancy McKeon some lines, is like, you should enter it in that journalism high school contest thing <laughs> for how great a hard-hitting journalistic piece of truth this is. And Tootie is just mopey. Tootie is fucking miserable. She is. And 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 the first note I took was about a comment she made. Yeah. Seeing seeing how Natalie is behaving and and wallowing in uh-huh. uh, uh she says and I wrote this down because as a writer I come across this. Her line is I'm getting attention headache. Yeah. And funny because clearly it's met as a pun of attention as attention. in Natalie's getting a lot of attention yes. and a tension headache yeah and that is a hard kind of pun to sell just by audio yeah on on a on a page it might that's one of those things that's awkward because it's it's clever in the way that the words are structured but it's not a natural joke yeah it's not an audio it's not an audio joke no at and all. certainly not something that tootie who we just had wondering where her imaginary friend went yes it, far too clever that she would have too, meant the double meaning. Too clever by half. So, yeah. <laughs> I love... Is there a play called that? There's got to be a play called Too Clever by Half. It, it would be a great play title. So and it so doesn't exist yet. Nobody uh, steal it. I just copyrighted it. <laughs> that's right. Now, of course, when you give a, a play or anything a title that clever, you're begging the critics. Oh, to, <laughs> to say... <laughs> you're, lives you're, up. you're handing them a pin uh, to burst your balloon with when right. you oh. a title like that. And then Joe says she thinks Natalie could win this contest. And Joe knows the prizes for this contest. Yes, which, which I mean, seems nearly theoretical. Uh, yeah, I'm. It's we know Joe at one time loved journalism for the one episode it was convenient for her to love it. Correct. But Natalie's always been. This is this is totally on brand for Natalie. She's been the editor of the school paper for a while. Um, so Joe says you could win what an electric typewriter. Uh, a dictionary with the alphabet cut out and the tabs. And the little tabs. <laughs> a yes. dictionary with a little tab, like oh. that fancy. And I think the last prize that Joe mentions is you go to a convention and hobnob with other writers, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like if there's, I'm not aware of the National High School Newspaper Editors Convention, but whatever. It, it might it, exist. Might have been a thing, maybe. But um, that to me would have been the big prize and it really wasn't emphasized because the big thing was Joe building it up like this, meaning all of these people could read this article and it could win a prize. Tootie, little bitch, what do you think of that, Natalie? And Natalie 
surprisingly kind of pushes back and says, okay, I'll do it. And it's like, wow, she's like you said, she goes straight into hubris mode. Natalie is so big for her britches right now. She oh, yeah. is loving, soaking up the attention, basking in the glory. Then in comes Mrs. Garrett. No, no, it's happening again. What is it, Mrs. Garrett? Mr. Parker is on his way over and... Oh, why does he do this to me? There's a problem. When there's good news, he tells it himself. But bad news? Oh, good old Edna, she'll tell them. Faithful old Edna. And then she stops. And Natalie's like, so, good old Edna. And Mrs. Garrett goes, what? And Natalie's like, what is the news? It, it's so... Ugh. It's so... It's played serious. Oh, yes. And and it seemed to go on forever. And it seemed be- to go on forever. Before she delivered said news. Before she <laughs> delivered the news. But the fact is, I've cited this before where... I mean, we do have Mr. Parker in this episode. But there have been episodes where they clearly didn't want to pay for somebody. So one of the girls comes and says, Hey, uh, your faculty advisor... Uh, says you don't have no credits and you're being expelled tomorrow. Bye. And it's like, why would your peer tell you this? That's like, what? So at least they play up that Mrs. Garrett is aware that this is odd, that she does not like it and doesn't agree. But, um, oh, and one of the things is, good old Edna, she'll soften the blow. So finally, the news drops, and I won't do it in that voice because it is important. Mr. Parker demands in no uncertain terms that Natalie name the girl in the article. She has 24 hours to do so, or she will have to leave school. But the thing is, at the, we're at the end of uh, the first act of the show. So that is the last moment. You will have to do it, or you will have to leave school. And they all look out to the audience. This is what we call the Thornton Wilder moments, where it's we have yes. this pregnant pause, and it's long, and you expect a stage manager to walk in front and say, well, sure seems like Natalie's got herself in an awful bind. Not really a lot of things like this happen here in Grover's Corners. <laughs> and it just, it's so, again, pre- the term pregnant pause, how appropriate in an Very abortion episode. Yes. But the pregnant, this, the, these pauses are so pregnant. Good Lord. So uh, anyway, it's another one of those, somebody call cut. And, and you can see they're all blocked for the camera so that, you know, Joe is in the background, but you see her face over the shoulders of the other two. Like it is impeccably staged for the camera, but it's still one of those, Nothing's happening but them ooing. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, finally someone did call cut, and it faded to commercial. And commercial time, Daryl, is when I like to get to know my guests. So, if you would allow us to take a very quick travelogue through your life, uh, both personally and artistically, where were you born? So I was born in Albuquerque, which is New Mexico's largest city, Uh though it's a modest-sized city. Um, but Los Alamos, uh, I, my high school years, a lot of them were there in Los Alamos, uh, that my, uh, my mother and stepfather both worked at the national labs. So my mother was a dance teacher. 
Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, she she had done she danced her whole life from childhood, and and at that period of time, she taught ballet and tap and jazz dance, and mm-hmm. I took all three. Oh, wow. Um, however, I should mention here that though a lot of that youth was in New Mexico, two years of it were right here in Central Florida. What? In in Maitland, Florida. Wow. Because my stepfather uh, got a job at uh, what at the time was. Uh, Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to think of the name of it now. Martin Marietta? Thank you. That's exactly correct. Oh, my God. Correct. That's, that's all <laughs> I could think of. You're exactly yeah. correct. Yeah, that's what they were called. They are now Lockheed Martin. They are now Martin. Lockheed Martin. They are just but Lockheed when they were yeah. When they were Martin Marietta, he worked there. And again, he was uh, a physicist. And um, and this would have been in 71, 72. Wow. A little bit of 73, meaning that Walt Disney World was brand new. Wow. And it was only one park, Magic Kingdom. And yeah. The and the the contemporary resort and the Polynesian resort and the campground and that was it. And I four was a two lane dirt <laughs> it, road. It, it was a small highway. I, yeah. And we lived in Maitland, and uh, because and your father's commute from Maitland to Martin Marietta down at Sand Lake was about ten minutes, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, now I do remember. I do remember. So when we prevailed upon him to go to Disney World, yeah, it seemed to me, little kid, uh, to take forever. Huh. It seemed to take forever because of the anticipation of going there. Yeah. And I was as pixie dusted as you could possibly be yeah. by Walt Disney World. And for the record, to get from Maitland to Lockheed, which is down in the Sand Lake area, nowadays that's probably about 35 minutes, 40? More. more. 40? 40, 45, depending, 40. On, depending on time of day. Depending on time of day. And Disney is down past that by another 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. Easily. So, uh, yeah. Also, at the time, there was uh, there was a group called the Singing Boys of Orlando. Okay. And uh, they rehearsed in, I believe it's the still existing Presbyterian church that's in downtown Orlando. So at the time, we were a boys choir. And in the short two year, two and a half-ish years that we were here mm-hmm. in Maitland, uh, I became a singing, dancing little Daryl. Wow. And, and I was on TV. There was a locally produced show called, and I kid you not... Uncle Hubie's Penthouse Barnyard. <laughs> <laughs> the idea, the concept of the show yeah. was that uh, near the top of one of Orlando's taller buildings, yeah. uh, which was five stories back then, <laughs> right, <laughs> was this barnyard. Oh my God. So there was a big sort of plywood barn. And oh, bales of hay. Do you have video of this? Please tell me. I wish. This. I have searched so hard for existing video oh of this. Oh my God, I'd love to see this. And I have not yet succeeded. Um, but And there was a gigantic foam chicken's foot on one corner of the set. <laughs> and this gentleman who played a character, he just dressed like a hayseed. Yeah. But the fact was that after school, it was something that would be on probably a syndicated station yeah. that we as kids could go see. Oh, yeah. And yet all of a sudden, here I was in a group of performing children mm-hmm. uh, going on and singing and tap dancing and doing show tunes uh, on actual television, however local. And uh, that, I guess that set me, because enough grown-ups praised that and seemed super impressed by me because of that, sure. that that probably set my course. Yeah. Even though my peers had a very mixed response, oh god, that yeah. included wedgies and all of the other <laughs> torments <laughs> that something like that is wow. uh, likely to yeah. bring on. Yeah, and um, especially because you're in Florida, and yes. it's like in Florida, 
Orlando was not the fine, diverse, cosmopolitan hotbed no. of liberalism that it is today. No, indeed. And <laughs> by the way, the boys' choir, we sang in the first uh, candlelight processionals at Disney World. Shut up. Yeah. And at that time, of course, they were on Main Street because there were no Epcot yet. There were no Epcot, no. And so I was in the first couple of those. Wow. Um, I remember that the guest narrator on the one that I recall was Cary Grant. Oh, my God. Yes, which I think was the second one they did. It was Cary Grant was the guest narrator. Holy shit. And so, I mean, I shook... You Car- shared the stage with Cary I shook his Grant. hand. I shook his hand. He came back and shook all our hands. <gasps> and now, all I knew was that when I had said to my mom, not not really knowing who he was, yeah. but said to my mom, oh, yeah, I'm going to meet Cary Grant, that she freaked out. <laughs> yes, well, and, she And that I was like, all I know is that the director told us he's... Uh, a Hollywood star, but I yeah. did not consciously know of any movies of his I'd seen at that point. Oh my god! Um, I will say, long story short, <clears throat> too uh, late. Had to say it. Go ahead. Too too long. Didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because of that early formative experience in Walt Disney World? Much later, when I was in my t- early twenties in New Mexico and trying to figure out what to do with my life, mm-hmm. I thought I want to. I want to be something in the Disney organization. I'm just going to pull up stakes, move to Orlando, and see what happens. And that's what brought you here. And that happened, and that's 30 years ago now that I arrived. And with that yeah. uh, brought your performance experience. I first met you at Sleuth's Mystery Dinner Theater, but you were also performing at theme parks. And uh, you're also a musician. Now, where did your music and your piano playing and stuff come from? I, I mean, I took piano lessons as a kid because I think it just felt like I sing, I dance, gee, I should play an instrument. <laughs> um, but in truth, a lot of that just comes from, especially once I reached my adolescence, music became such a central part of just my imaginative life. Yeah. Just uh, uh, some of that came from musical theater. And the, the flashpoint on that was I got to go see Pippin. Oh, as a God. kid. And that was the flashpoint at which I was oh, like, God. music and story and dance coming together in this magical way. Fuck yeah. That... That's, oh my God, what a beautiful show to be your, <laughs> yes. your igniting, and, and, and inciting event to your life oh, path. Oh, was it ever? You see, I think this is one of those things where because your mother was an artist and your mother was a dancer and taught dance, it is so different. Your experience of any artistic ability being encouraged and then putting you in a place where you could grow them. Most people of our generation, as you know, Mm -hmm. our parents took little to no interest in us. For all intents and purposes, abandoned us. It was sunrise, go out, play outside, get the fuck out of the house. It's a weekend. Dinner's at 6 p.m. Have a nice day. Hope you find some lunch and you don't die of starvation. There was a little of that. Oh, my God. A little. So then you have all these things. Where did your writing career begin because to me a big chunk of what you do and who you are is the contributions you've made to so many theme parks and attractions as a writer Mm -hmm. how did that all come about i was a staff writer uh on walt disney imagineering for some years uh when that came to an end around around the time that the uh well it was it was in 2001 draw the you know connect the dots there Mm -hmm. um but I've been freelance ever since. I've done plenty of work. I've actually, I did more significant work for Disney after I was a consultant than when oh. I was on staff. Mm-hmm. And then for any number of other clients. And I now have a seminar that is all about storytelling in theme parks. That's right. So if you know people that might find that intriguing for your school group or whoever, uh-huh. uh, 
Look what, me up. As your, do you have a website for it, or is it just I do. Website? I do. There is a website that is called storymagic.xyz. Well, one of the great things about this, the, doing this show is that I sit down with people that I consider friends, and I'm always surprised at how often I learn things about them that I didn't know. And my, like I said earlier, my vision of you is just this jack-of-all-trades where you perform, and you're a musician, and you're a writer, and you've worked with Imagineering in the creative end of it. So, um, but I didn't know where all that came from, but now I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. I but before we get urgently to it, uh, just quick off the top of your head, name a commercial from your childhood that sticks in your brain. Oh boy, well there's several, but uh, <laughs> okay. Ah, okay, so I've got it. So let me make sure I have it all. Okay, here's an advertisement I remember from that brief time that, well, I don't know, two and a half years or so that I was in Maitland, Florida. So this was, okay. this is a local ad, not a national oh, ad. Okay. This is a local ad for a, a restaurant that you could go to in Orlando. It was called Sweden House. <laughs> Sweden house. And the commercial just showed people enjoying... Herring. Herring, I'm sure. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Variety is the spice of life. So if you're good with a fork and a knife, come on out to the Sweden house. The taste makes a difference at Sweden house. All you care to eat from a smorgasbord and all at a price you can easily afford. So treat your children and please your spouse. The taste makes a difference at Sweden house. You are getting a slow clap for that one. So, Daryl, that is amazing. I, local commercials are such a long, lost, forgotten mm -hmm. gem where they, they come and go and there's not really any emphasis on archiving or saving them. Oh, no. But yeah, oh, no, you've that, got... That, oh that, probably, you know, that probably ran during Uncle Hubie's penthouse barnyard. <laughs> probably, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> Sweden house. And was it in Maitland or Orlando? Where was it? Do you so know? I couldn't tell you. Did you eat there? No, no, I don't think we ever ate there. I remember, I mean, I, I kind of vaguely remember passing by it and yeah. seeing the building and thinking, oh, there, there's the place and yeah. here's the song. It's right here. Wow. You know. So let's get back to the facts of life. We've, we've got some abortion to deal with right now. Boy, do we. We are in the parlor now. And Mr. Parker is now here. We were wondering if he was going to appear since Mrs. Garrett was the uh, messenger of the bad news. Yes. But now Mr. Parker is saying, tell me who the girl is. Who had the abortion? And Natalie's saying, I can't tell you. And uh, the stakes are so high. Parents are concerned, and they've been calling me all day, demanding to know if it was their daughter that had the abortion. So uh, the parents couldn't have this quick, easy access to the paper. So the assumption is that all of these students got on the phone to their parents right. and yeah. said, oh my God, there's an article in this paper that I never used to read before. <laughs> uh, and this is about a girl here at Eastland who had an abortion. Oh my God. And they're calling him demanding, was it my daughter? And he does get a laugh where he says, and I need to give them an answer that's a little bit better than, well, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> And that's a big laugh too. That's a pretty big yes. laugh. So, and there too, there is where the issue that we that we brushed against earlier was that a school at that time, what obligation did they feel they had, and what uh, uh, what to, legal I mean, they'd have no moral right. No, but what would a common understanding among school administration have been at that time? 
yeah to to say oh yes i do need to find that out for you worried parent yeah. that 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 young woman's uh, uh anonymity or or safety or autonomy were not even part of the equation no not at all at and all certainly certainly not for not of the time and not for kids and certainly not for girls right i mean they were the lowest part of the right. concern totem pole when it came to that um we are here's the perfect moment when to me so much became apparent when mr parker said she's been through a terrible experience and natalie is kind of like well she's come through it fine (laughs) and that's the point when you're like they have yet to actually say what an abortion is correct and they never do for the rest of the episode that will not occur I was keeping nor, track before nor, the commercial. I thought, yeah. I was like, are we going to make yeah. it to the commercial without them saying what it is? Right. And then it was, we're probably going to make it to the end of the episode without actually without saying them, yes. what an yeah. abortion is. Oh, yes. Well, I, I guess, <laughs> I, th- I think I think just invoking the word was all of the envelope pushing they cared uh, to do. And that they could do. I don't think the network perhaps would they let could them do. Perhaps they go could any do. further. You almost wish that the episode had ended and then Tootie walked in and said, Mrs. Garrett, What's an abortion? Right, right. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, they never say. Never. So, so here in this in this scene, I mean, we see the the, the central conflict is set up, and it is it, it's really strange how it's set up as Natalie can take a principled stand of I need to protect my source. Yep. And even her friends for a while are are sort of rallying around and yes. and, and saying. Mm-hmm you know, First Amendment rights and and you're protecting your source. And yet we know that she's being duplicitous because to her mind, there is no source. Yeah. And and so taking this principled stand is really just covering your ass. Yeah. Um, and all of that is, all of that is so superfluous mm-hmm. to the issue that has been named. Yeah. You know, they could have, they could have made it shoplifting and treated, and they would have treated it with the exact same or, amount or of... Or a tattoo. Or a tattoo. Or, or a, uh, an, an errant body piercing somewhere. Sure. Yeah. It and, could, it and, could, you could have done a, a search and replace of the word abortion <laughs> in this. Yes. And the, like you say, the actual dilemma of the script would remain the same. Right. Um, so let's, let's go there for just a moment. Why does Natalie feel like it would be such abject humiliation to admit that she made it up? Mm-hmm. It would be one thing if she was calling somebody to task. It would be one thing if there were repercussions, firings, you know, as opposed to just worry and panic right. among parents. Right. You know, he does say, do you realize how much fuss you've caused at the end yes. of the episode. That's right. But the fact is, it's like, it, would it really have been that big a deal to say, actually, that wasn't a real person, but still, yeah. she could have I, still taken a stand and said... Yeah, I created a composite in order to... Well, and, and legitimately, people To make have a point. That, to make a point. Yeah. You would have wanted to have noted that in the story as published. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want this, to note it in this there. This describes the real world experiences of young women. Yeah. Uh, what you have just read is partially yeah. is a fictive, or <laughs> right. the character of Louise is a yes. composite of multiple. Right. She could have absolutely added a disclaimer at the end, so the yes. article would have had the same impact. She could have fucking done that, and um, okay, we've also addressed the fact that she's the editor of the school paper. Where is the faculty oversight? 
We had the article about the books where the faculty advisor said, we're not publishing this right. and you're not the editor anymore. She lost her job over it. They fought and we later learned that they won. But the thing is, it's like, okay, this is a school newspaper. There's these, these girls are not existing in a vacuum. Natalie does not have final cut, as it were, of these whatever right. gets published in the paper. So that is kind of preposterous. Yes. Because honestly... It would have been the faculty member who got in trouble for letting that go to press. Yes. Then it would have trickled down to Natalie, but it would have been the faculty would have been the thing. Mr. Almost, you know, Mr. Parker could have, should have been. We, we do, Daryl, as a writer, I invite you to help me rewrite the episode and correct it so we can get into our time machine and give our notes to the That's writers. Right. That's right. But maybe Mr. Parker should have been uh, both him and the editor of the paper. Or instead of Mrs. Garrett in Act One, it should have been yes. a new teacher who was the facilitator who maybe, um, I don't know how it would have gone to press without their sign off. There's no way. Right. It would be one thing, you turned in this article and I can't publish it. Yes. And I have to now turn it over to Mr. Parker. That would make perfect sense, but then we would lose the popularity factor yes. that Natalie's right. been enjoying. That's right. So it's it's tough. Well, it's just, it's, I, I mean, a lot of that. It's just the kind of contrivance that you build up so that so that Natalie can go through that very sitcom arc of did a thing and now I'm over proud. Yeah. And I need to be taken back down a notch, except then applied to something that deserves uh, more consideration. Yeah. Uh, and and here, of course, I, I also and I made a note of this too that there was no reason that her even her fictitious version of this had to pretend to be about a girl in the school that she could easily have said, "I spoke to a young woman." Oh yeah, in Peekskill. In in, in Peekskill. Or and yeah, as opposed to I presume this story had to have said someone among us here at Eastland <laughs> uh, who will be known as Louise. You're totally right. Why yeah, did she? There was, put... there was no reason she had to do that other than the requirements of a sitcom. Yeah. To create a situation. Yeah. Also, it would seem that, although it didn't quite play out this way, it would seem that then she was in the classic dilemma of, uh, you know, uh, if if I reveal the truth, I will get suspended anyway. Yeah. That, you know, I'm being told I'll be suspended if I don't say who it is, and there isn't a, a person who it is. Um, but then to say, well, I mean, you know, no matter what the actual case would have been. Yeah. Uh, it was never quite presented that way. Like either choice I make results in, well, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because there's well, a... Yeah. Um, I mean, at this stage of the game, the choice is either leaving school or telling the truth and being humiliated. Right. And it's like, we've been through humiliation before with Natalie. We've been through yes. her reputation and her boys saying that she does more than study on study dates and all that. So... Uh, that really didn't wash with me as it, far it, as it I, I don't think those stakes were high enough as far as y you have to leave the school. And yet Natalie is sticking to her guns. Mm -hmm. And in the next scene, oh no, we have to, and before we go to the next scene, there's two things we have to point out. One, um, where the girls rally behind her, Joe, Blair, and Tootie, they uh, say, we're going to take this, we're going to take this up with the news. This is an infringement on right. freedom of speech and blah, blah, blah. And Blair says, my mother used to date a judge. I'll tell her to give him a call. Last time Blair's mother was dating a judge, he was the guy that opened up the sealed adoption records to tell Natalie who her birth mother was. 
Right. Natalie ended up not accepting the information. That's right. I, but I remember that. Talking about a contrivance. The, yes. We need Blair to... Her mother's dating a judge again because it was so successful <laughs> in that adoption episode back in season one. That was a humdinger. And then the second one is Joe says, all right, you get with... Um, you call the newspaper outlets, you call the networks, and Joe says, and I'll get in touch with Geraldo Rivera. Here it comes. <laughs> and then Blair says, oh, to be tickled by that mustache. <laughs> there was the joke that oh. I, at the top of this, I said, there, there was the uncomfortable joke. <laughs> the, the uncomfortable laughter. Well, I don't think it was... I'm just. I'm I don't think it was an uncomfortable laugh because because of the well, innocence of this show. Of the show, but I. So what went through my mind was the writer had to know, the person who wrote that joke had Probably. to know because I feel like my junior high self would have would have taken that joke immediately. As, to Cunnilingus, really? Yes, because at the time I I, I can even go to like sixth or seventh grade mm-hmm. when older older brothers and older step siblings. Uh, one of them used to have a T-shirt that said "Free Mustache Rides." Oh, oh and, God! I remember that. And I knew what that meant. Oh, wow! I knew what that meant. You see, I don't think these girls would know what that now, means. The girls wouldn't, but I just yeah. think that the writers must have. Yeah. After the, the there's going to be another have. there's going to be another Cunnilingus episode where they don't ever talk about what Cunnilingus is, um, or at least there could be. But. Um, Obviously, to be tickled by that mustache would probably means to kiss him. Oh, yeah, clearly, clearly her intent. But yeah, but the mustache I'm just, absolutely, I'm our minds worried, went there. I'm just worried that the writer's mind was there. Yeah, but that's, but yeah, that, that what, is a concern. Know. That is absolutely a concern. Yes. Thankfully, Lisa Welchel is now 18. So it's perfectly appropriate. So it would have been entirely to do fine. sexual, perfectly appropriate. Yes. And the three years previous when she wasn't 18 for all the sexual shit they were thinking. <laughs> Uh, oh dear. So we go up into the bedroom now. Natalie is packing. She's I mean she's going to leave, get kicked out of school. At no point has there been a we need to talk to your parents. You need to talk to your parents. You need to consult with I mean even if she had said I've been arguing with my parents all day and I've told them I'm not talking and they need to come and pick me mm-hmm. up at the train station. Yes. Even if she did that. But the fact that so much of what happens here is completely independent of the parents, it's like... It completely, uh, yes. It's, it's in that self-sealed bubble of, of the school and the cast people that are yeah. contained in it. I did, I did remember thinking before, the, before where this scene is actually headed that Tootie is present and is still super annoyed. Oh, yeah. And that I had thought, at some point, is she going to say, hey, I could spill... I could go to Mr. Parker and oh, say, hey, you right. know what? You're and, right. And that never, that's never, that never comes up. That's never a threat. That's never an idea that the assumption of the show seems to be Tootie will remain silent about this forever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and as irritated as she still is about it, I was like, oh, surely part of the tension of this episode will be... Yeah, you know. and Tootie's the blabbermouth. <laughs> Tootie's the person you never tell a secret to. Right. She's been growing out of that lately, I will say. Okay. Over last season, we addressed that, her being treated like a baby and stuff. But no, you're right. There's still a sense of if Tootie knows something, it probably ain't secure 100%. You're right. Um, The scene begins with uh, writing, I believe, Daryl, I've heard you use this term, a little on the nose. Natalie is packing. So Tootie's lines are, and I'm quoting, I can't believe you're actually leaving. I can't believe you're letting things go this far to save yourself the embarrassment. In case you just tuned into the show 
20 minutes in, audience, I'm restating. It's like, yes, really? I think we know she's annoyed from the pouting she's been doing for the last three scenes. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. And that may, you know, that might have been in their, in their writer's guide is, you know, at top of act three, let's include a little bit yeah. of recap for the folks that, you know, because yeah. VCRs weren't, uh, weren't in every home yet. No, no, no. <laughs> That could be. So then in comes their dear friend, Annie, to congratulate Natalie on the article. Well, you know, Annie is one of my favorite characters across the whole span of I think so. the first, two, first three seasons. Uh, yeah, it's true. <clears throat> I'm not sure anyone in the cast exemplifies the true journey of the adolescent female in the early 1980s than the character of Annie, who is clearly a dear, dear friend of these girls that she could walk up the back cafeteria stairs, walk into their bedroom, and close the door behind her. Yes. We're being uh, ironic here, people. We've never fucking seen Annie before. We're never going to fucking see Annie again. Done. She she has one scene. Yeah. The the actress's name is Lisa Lucas, and she has only a few credits. She has some, but not a lot, and they all end at 1993. Mm. So she got out of the biz, apparently. Um... So she comes in and she says, Natalie, the article was so well written. And Natalie, still right into it. It's like, mm-hmm. you think so? <laughs> and Tootie, rightfully and conveniently for the mechanics of the plot, basically says, oh, little on the nose, I don't believe it, and walks out. Yes. It's like, she couldn't have just gone, <sighs> it's like, you don't need to say, I don't believe it. Right. It also played as a very clear, oh, you two characters need time alone. So Bingo. I'm going to. <laughs> and it is pretty. This scene is kind of awesome. I'm sorry. Where she says, I thought I heard the rumors. Annie says, so the rumors are true that you're leaving school over this. And Natalie's like, yep. And she says, well, I think what you're doing is noble. And. Uh, Natalie's like, well, I'm not so sure. I think when I get home, she does say, when I get home, my parents are going to hand me a samurai sword and say, you know what to do. You know what to do. Yeah. 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 Do what your friend Cynthia did in season two, because we haven't made light of suicide in a few months now. Jesus. Ouch. Anyway. That That was pretty cringy. Annie says, well, don't crumble. She basically is telling her, fight the fight. And she says, I'm counting on you. And Natalie's like, why are you counting on me? And Annie says, we don't have to pretend anymore. It's just us. And Natalie is still like, uh, homo says what? And Nanny says, I was afraid you were going to tell that it was me. How did you find out? There were things in that article that nobody could have possibly known. I don't know who could have told you. And Natalie is like, Natalie still doesn't fess up. She says, Basically, nobody told me, no one at school knows it's you. And she says, my parents wouldn't understand. And she says, maybe they would. And Natalie says, maybe they would. And Annie says, when I was learning how to drive, we got a little scratch on my father's station wagon. He still flinches every time he sees it. It, Once again, that so what is an abortion again? Right, it's it's something akin to a ding on your uh, bumper. A ding on your yeah. <laughs> it's like what you know. And again, the idea that that's how a father would treat his daughter's virtue. 
that, you know, you had sex with a boy and you're damaged now. That's, that's really what it's saying. Right. I, that is, that's clearly the connection. That's clearly the uh, yeah. synecdoche that we are meant to get from it. And, and, and that's very sadly disturbing and sadly of its time. And we both were kind of oh, like, yeah. Of its time and far too, far too present. Yeah. Still. Still, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, yet, and yet it's such, yeah, it's such a roundabout. We're, we're dancing such a distant circle around this topic. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and then the writers turn around and they do wonderful things like what I'm about to quote, where Annie says, I didn't mean to make trouble for you. It was really disturbing to read it as though I was going through it again, whatever it is. Right. But it was also comforting to know that someone understood. I have no right to ask you not to tell, but I'm asking. And then we cut to the long pregnant staring out dilemma shot yes the the stage manager thornton wilder where sure is. now natalie is like well fuck <laughs> well so so here here were a couple of my thoughts mm-hmm. during all of that, that yeah that first of all it's it's again when you're watching a sitcom certainly of this era that it's such a plot contrivance to say that okay i made up a girl in this school who had an abortion. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh my God, there turns out to be one. I know. Um, that that's just a contrivance. Yeah. Uh, but then, and and then for that person, for that character to exist for one scene only. Yeah. To never, to never appear never again. Come not, back. E- not even with it at the end of this episode to say thanks or to yeah. establish in some way. And, and for no one to care about, no one in this episode gives two shits about no. Annie. I mean, in never way, see her again. And um, I, I thought was that it seemed kind of funny to me that there seemed to be a presumption on Annie's part that though she never spoke to Natalie to tell her her own story, mm-hmm. she seems to believe that Natalie wrote it about her. I would presume from other sources, like you must have talked to other girls about me in my situation, which would have to mean there are other girls who know about her situation. Yeah, which it, makes it then odd for her to say. Don't reveal it. Yeah, I mean that just just the mechanics of of uh, this girl I never spoke to about this wrote a story that's definitely about me. Yeah, but no one How must did, know, and yet yeah. people have to already know if this if Annie yeah. thinks Tootie must have spoken to my confidants. Yeah, no, I I agree, and maybe the line adjustment could have been Natalie. I did not tell another living soul. Right. Only my boyfriend and I know about this so you know i you know and she was being a little bit light about it like oh, it was kind of a mate wow you know yeah, as yeah. opposed to her there there could have been a, a more grave sense of urgency like natalie i need to know how you found this out about me right, right. that would have been certainly uh, appropriate so that's the sort of dialogue that someone would have written if they considered annie to be a person instead <laughs> of a plot convenience <laughs> so true so true. And um, for all the complaints I've made about the makeup in this show, I just want to go on record and I will not belabor this point because I have so many times before. Uh, for all of the complaints I've made about the blush and too much blush on all the four girls, they took all of the blush from the four girls and put all four girls worth onto Annie's face. Holy shit. This is true. The blush. 
It entered the room before she did. The blush. It was in fucking sane. And we're just going to move on because I've sure. already stated many, 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 many times my concerns about the makeup on this show. <sighs> then we move into the final scene. Yes. We start in the parlor, but then move into the cafeteria. We have Joe on the phone, comedically trying to get in touch with Geraldo Rivera's people. Another weird line, just trying to get laughs. Uh, Mrs. Garrett comes into the cafeteria, kind of jovially, just like, la, 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 la. And Natalie's like, Mrs. Garrett, where have you been? Like, I'm in a dilemma, and you're the person who handles the dilemmas. And she says, I had to get work done on my car. And Natalie's like, well, you didn't tell me that. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, it was one of those madcap spur-of-the-moment lube jobs. Um, I, hope an, uh, uh, I hope a documentary is made someday about the facts of life called a madcap spur-of-the-moment lube job. I really, really do. Um, uh, oh, goodness. Anyway, Natalie fesses up to Mrs. Garrett, says, I don't want to leave school. I lied and made her up. And this is where Mrs. Garrett turns into nurturing, but admonishes her. Right. That's not reporting, Natalie. That's fiction. We have volume problems with Charlotte Ray. Where we sometimes do. We she do. She, she punches can, them a she, hard. She, she, she was forceful on that one. Um, I, I, I have to wonder if at some level she wasn't hollering the word fiction at the, at the writers. <laughs> True. <laughs> for, having, for having cobbled together such a... Uh, oh, my God. Uh, such a not brave uh, take. But. but the thing is, what Natalie is essentially saying to Mrs. Garrett is, my dilemma now is not that I made it up and I have to fess up. My dilemma is, I made it up, but I have the ability... To throw Annie under the bus. Like, she's considering it. Right. I could name Annie, is, and I get to stay at school. This is a legit option, isn't it? Mrs. Yeah. Garrett? Yeah. And we've we've had ethical problems with Natalie before, with her blatantly lying to her parents to get money for cosmetics or to pay for... Um, uh, to pay for a, a, a trip or a, a sleepover or something. I forget what it is, but we, there have been a couple of times where, like, Natalie, you are a lying fucking liar. And that this is the dilemma now. It thankfully doesn't linger very long because Mrs. Garrett no. very quickly says, Natalie, you lied. Yeah. And even if you name this girl that now has come forth, you, that still doesn't change that you lied. Right. And uh, the great Mrs. Garrett moment is, Natalie says, if I name the name, I'm off the hook. And Mrs. Garrett's response is, are you Natalie? <laughs> my voice is squeaky, sorry. That's all right. My, I, my Charlotte Ray is subpar today. That's all right. I will say, by the way, in, in this scene, that her, her nonverbal, her facial expression is fantastic, hmm. uh, is a fantastic anyone would crumble. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's the thing where you get that, you know, to be, if you disappoint Mrs. Garrett, God, oh. you fucked up. Oh, yeah. God, how could you fake, you know? And it's almost, Natalie could have had a line. It's like, I can't, I couldn't even tell Mrs. Garrett. Like, I couldn't imagine telling her how disappointed she'd be with me. Think of the world or, I don't know. Anyway, Mr. Parker comes in. We need to talk. And uh, they're like, no, no, you gave her 24 hours. She doesn't have to talk to you. And he's like, I'm not suspending her. And he goes, I was hoping you'd cooperate, uh, but it is a matter of principle. And as my wife reminded me, 
What kind of person would I be if I didn't respect that you were acting on principle, Natalie? So on one hand, we've got the women rallying together, putting the stupid fuckheaded man in his place. But that's a little bit of a deus ex machina. That's a little too oh, completely out of left field. Absolutely. Um, so, but then he goes on to say, and complicate it further, we're minutes from the end of the episode. Oh, we're so close. And he says, um, but that means I'm going to have to find out who this girl is without your help. He goes, I'm going to have to do some legwork. I'm going to have to interview some people, check absentee records. That was a good That's, one. That one is, oh yeah, this is, this is, a, this is an investigation. Yeah, it, yeah. This a is witch a, hunt. This yeah. is a witch hunt now. Yeah. But checking absentee records, that I believe is like, oh, that, that would actually be a good approach. Good for you. That's, that was a good writer's thing. Of, right, right. What, that, what, yeah, you know, if, I have to if, do if, interviews. Is any girl going to say, yeah, my friend had an abortion? It's that's like, right. no. That's right. But, but then, <laughs> and, yeah, sooner or later, it's like, Annie, you didn't really go visit your Aunt Martha. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, the, the bottom line is, he says, it won't be easy, but eventually I'll find her. And that's when Natalie is at the end of her open says, no, you won't. There is no Louise. And Natalie fesses up the whole thing. And he's like, whoa, what? And she says, I will print a retraction. And he says, uh, and you're going to resign as the editor of the school paper. Which, that really sucks. Yeah, well, now, I was thinking that suspension that I was going to level on yeah. not revealing is now going to be... <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, no. yeah, okay. If I tell you it was Annie, can I still be the editor? <laughs> um, but then, the somber note that it ends on. And he says, well, I'm glad to hear this. I know this school. I know these girls. Something like this could never happen here (laughs) and he walks out with his male authority his ego swollen so he almost came through the door and as if we didn't have enough pregnant pauses we have the moment where mrs garrett steps close to natalie puts her hand on hers uh, while they're holding the chair so this little moment of support but normally the show would freeze frame and then roll the credits oh no, no no During the end credits, we get live action, Mrs. Garrett and Natalie reacting like, he doesn't know, mm-hmm. right. he thinks it didn't happen, and it happened. we pulled the wool over his eyes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it was par for the course. <laughs> yes. It was par, but it could have been a freeze frame too. Uh, there would have been nothing wrong with a freeze frame I, there. A freeze frame or, 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 you know, one of those off-topic, light-hearted moments that you could end a show on. Yeah. Let's, so, who wants some chili? Know, yeah, just something. <laughs> uh, not that. Yeah, not that. Not that we ever engaged in any way, shape, or form yeah. with the subject that we gave yeah. name to. <laughs> but but to end it on the note, the idea that we're going to have the male authority figure say this oh. could never happen here. Oh my gosh, no. Well, I, 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 you know, I mean, I, my thought was sort of like, uh, you know, we we know better. In the sense that it did happen here, yeah. Mr. Parker, you just don't know about it yet. But the, I guess, the built-in assumption that 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 truly is horrible. Yeah, exactly. Something like this could never. Yeah, yeah, the, exactly. The, uh, the, the, the yeah, the the, the, presum- the presumed morality behind that is, yes. is so 
awful. That's a great way to phrase it too. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Because something like this kind of, because this is a horrible thing. Oh yeah. This is a cancer on our society. <laughs> yeah. That is the gravity. Women choosing to make decisions about their body. Yeah. And it's perfectly in line with his character. There is nothing about that that belies anything we've ever known about him before. That is true. That is true. Uh, And I still think, while we were talking earlier, I still think Tootie should have come in and said, so what is an abortion anyway? I just feel like it was the it was the literal elephant in the room that was, that was never ever addressed. Never addressed. That show did not have the nerve yeah, to even to even go on ground that had already been broken. Yeah. It's exactly. It's like this so. did compared to anyhow, we are at the end of the abortion line. And I'm so glad, Daryl, that you were able to do this and be a part of this and come and be on the show. I do. I, I, I do. I, I feel like I truly grew as a result of having revisited. Oh. Actually, well, I'm sure this is the first time I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel as like long I've, as... I feel like I've grown a little. Well, good. If You know, my goals for the podcast are no less than the goals for this show, to make you a better person for having experienced it. And I think I succeeded today. I really do. So thank you. I hope I can have you back soon. And uh, anytime. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was Daryl Pickett. Awesome guy. The only point that I didn't make during the show that I actually thought of while I was editing is they keep talking about boosting sales of the paper. And I'm suddenly thinking, I can't remember back this far because I haven't been in high school for so damn long now. I feel like the high school newspaper was free. Did we pay for it? Do, do typically students pay for it? Or is that part of the school budget? Because it's an outlet for uh, education and students with journalistic interests to be able to explore them. I don't know. Do you know? If you do, write me a note, comment on Facebook, let me know, illuminate me. You know, I like learning things. Sometimes. Now, next week, we have a very special episode. As if this week, abortion was not special enough, we have an even more specialer episode. It's called The Sound of Silence, and uh, that is Season 4, Episode 3. And once again, I'm going to have a very special guest joining me. But as always, for now, to my fives of loyal listeners, I thank you so much for listening to this week's show and for always listening. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.